Hello, and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This week, we are beginning a new series on the many Christmas traditions our culture has developed over the centuries. Our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is starting off with a message about God's promises. And our theme verse for the week is Hebrews 10, 23. You can find additional resources and our message archives on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. Christmas time is here. Let me see the hands if you've already decorated your home. Wow. Finished? You bought all your presents? See, I didn't want you to keep feeling so good. I didn't want to make you proud. Yes, but Christmas is here. And this new series is called Christmas Tradition. So, yes, some have asked, are you back? Yeah, I'm back. It's interesting. While I was gone, people said, are you all right? And I said, well, is it, I don't look all right? Or No, I haven't been sick or on vacation. It's just that, you know, we want to develop more than one speaker here and more than one worship leader. And so we have these young folks who are leading in worship very frequently. And uh, there are a lot of gifted folks that can teach. My favorite definition of preaching is truth through personality. And so I think it enriches us to hear more than just my personality. So we'll continue to do that throughout this year and coming years. Our new series is called Christmas Traditions. And we will consider why and how we celebrate this season. But more importantly, each week we'll discover what it is that Christmas teaches us about God's nature since his every action is deliberate, it's purposeful, and it's reflective of himself, especially his plan to redeem humankind through the incarnation of his Son. Today's focus is the faithfulness of God, which I've titled The Promises of God because he displays his faithfulness by keeping His promises. And the theme verse chosen from Hebrews chapter 10 is let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. What promise of God's are you clinging to? If I ask you all to write on a card and send it in, would you have something there? Because see, We ought to be a hopeful people. Well, hope means you're expecting something you don't have. And we should be living in anticipation of God fulfilling His promises to us. So what are we counting on? That should be the basis for our life. If we are people who are consumed with this culture and distracted by all the entertainment, and we don't live as a hopeful people, we're missing the boat. Because we are a people who should, who should always be living with our eyes heavenward. Because we live in expectation of something that hasn't happened yet. So we want to reflect first 
on the origin of Christmas. The word Christmas is an old English word, Christ Mass, or literally Christ's Mass, which referred to a celebration, a worship celebration, that observed the birth of the Savior. And that's a word. How many of you have a, a Catholic background, or you might be Catholic today? How many of you? So you're very familiar with the Mass, and Mass is a word that in a Catholic setting particularly includes a service that includes communion. Um, this idea of December 21st is very ancient, but it wasn't the only date that was suggested. There were at least ten different dates suggested as the day of Jesus' birth. As early as 273 A.D., Christians were celebrating the birth of Jesus on December 25th. But the reason wasn't a spiritual one entirely. It was likely to provide an alternative to uh, the Roman celebration of two gods. The birthdays of first, the unconquered son called Saturnalia, and also a Persian god, Mithras. Now, what would happen is each nation would have its own gods, but those then they would share their gods with each other. So Rome was open-minded. They just gathered lots of gods together. And they recognized the birth of these two particular gods at the winter solstice. Who knows what the winter solstice is? What is it? Well, you raised your hand. You didn't know I call on people, did you? The beginning of winter, yes. I mean, there was really somebody smart in the early service, smarter than you guys. But, and she, this woman was talking about the vernal equinox and all this kind of stuff. And I didn't, I said, I, what I know it is, it's the shortest day of the year. There is less sunlight on the winter solstice than any other day of the year, which is typically what day? December 21st, but it can vary from the 20th through the 23rd. So that date, the 25th of December, really relates back to pagan worship. That's true. And many of our Christmas customs have origins in Saturnalia as well. It was marked by feasting and parades special music, gift-giving, lighting candles, and green trees. Now, in 336 A.D., a Roman emperor declared Rome Christian. What was his name? Constantine. And he also established Christ's birthday as a holiday, as December 25th. It wasn't likely the correct date, by the way, because... It wasn't likely that shepherds slept out in the fields with their sheep in the cold winter months. You can look at Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Now, the very earliest Christians did not celebrate Jesus' birth. They recognized his baptism and his resurrection, not his birth. Some Christians in the 2nd and 3rd century opposed the celebration of Christ's birth because the Bible only 
shows the celebration of two people's birthdays. Who are they? Two birthdays are mentioned. Celebrations. Oh, I'm not passing out any stars today. (laughs) Pharaoh and Herod. Those are the only two birthdays mentioned. And so because of that, some Christians felt like it's not right to observe birthdays. In fact, Jehovah's Witnesses don't recognize birthdays today, including Christmas, which is Jesus' birthday. Now, many of these traditions, as I said, were related to pagan worship. Pagan just means polytheistic. There's not one God. Idolatry and all those things are mixed in. Uh, Celebrations. So Christians have often been resistant to celebrate this holiday. Puritans in early America deliberately worked on December 25th just to display their disdain for the recognizing the birth of Jesus. And they were Christian, very strong Christian, but they didn't recognize the birth. One Christian writer, however, said it this way, because as I say all this, you may be thinking, well, should we be recognizing Christmas? Now, not many of you are saying that, but some other Christians have said that. And there may be a few of you that still feel uneasy about recognizing it. But I think there was a there's some wisdom in considering what a Christian writer wrote three centuries after Jesus' death. And he said, we hold this day holy, not like the pagans, because of the birth of the Son, but because of the birth of Him who made the Son. See, understand this, folks. These These false gods don't control this world unless we yield it to them. Our God is the creator. Our God is all-powerful. But we need to be conscious and deliberate about the way we observe Christmas. The day that we observe it isn't really that important. And The Scripture tells us plainly, certain days aren't sacred. Romans 14, verses 5 and 6. So how do you recognize Christmas in a way that clearly, deliberately honors God's gift of His Son? That's the motivation for Christmas. Christians. I don't think we gain anything by throwing the tree out in the yard and, you know, denouncing it. People just think you're a sourpuss. How much better to have a God-glorifying explanation of what we're doing to our children, to our friends, to others that we know? And does your recognition of Christmas do that? Are you so embroiled in the materialism of it, that Jesus is nowhere to be found but in that little plastic bed of hay, manger on the shelf. A more important Christmas tradition is to recognize the nature of God, and that's what I'll do each week. I'm going to 
look at the story and pull out of this story, primarily found in Matthew chapters 1 and 2 and Luke chapters 1 and 2, as well as some in um, Isaiah, and see what it tells us about the nature of God. Because all the Scripture was written to show us God, to tell us who He is. And so as we look at this story, because it's so important, it's a focal point of of the Son who would come to redeem humankind, I think we could make an argument that His nature is clearer in that instance than in almost any other than the salvation of an individual person, perhaps. So we're going to consider today the faithfulness of God. And we see that first in the fact that God keeps His promises. Anybody in here know a liar? Don't point. Don't point. (laughs) And don't leer. Some of y'all think y'all are subtle by just going. Do we rely on the fact that God is a promise-keeping God? What do we have invested in that fact? Do we believe the Scripture is true? See, your life ought to show that you believe that the Scripture, as revealed to us, is true and authoritative in our lives. Now, we live in a time where people aren't quick to denounce God. They just define God. Not many people are, you know, truly atheistic. You have a few, but they're just mad about something mostly. But they'll just embrace God, but then they'll define who He is. And the problem is, our God being the only perfect person in the universe, He knows who He is. And we, are, we, we aren't changing who He is. But see, He says to us, here's the way you're saved. Here's the way you glorify me. Here's what's moral. Here's what's immoral. And it's only if we believe the authority of what we've been given that we abide by that direction. Which reveals that we live in a culture that's pagan. Because if you're attributing your your own identity and preferences to God, you're not worshiping Jehovah, Yahweh, God. So is this scripture reliable? Does it reveal his promises? And are you relying on him to keep his promises? Now God made promises very early. He made made the first promise to Adam and Eve when he told Eve that your son, you know, will battle the serpent. That was the first one. But I want to bring our attention to the promise that he made over 2,000 years before Jesus' birth. He formed a covenant. Covenants can have obligations on both sides, but God's covenant was a unilateral 
unconditional promise that he made with a 75-year-old man whose name was what? Say it again. Abram. Somebody's smart back there. Yes. Not Abraham. I was trying to trip you up. Abram means exalted father. And God told Abram that he would give him three things. You know what they were? They were land, descendants, and to be a blessing to all the families on earth. That's the Abrahamic covenant. It's found in Genesis chapter 12, the first time. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. That has relevancy today, doesn't it? All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, was Abram a Jew? No, there were no Jews yet. The word Jew arose as descendants after Judah, who was a son of Joseph. Abram was a son of an idol worshiper. He wasn't a follower of God, and there were no scriptures yet. You know what he had? He had a personal encounter with God. No different than you have if you're born again. God's covenant was later confirmed ceremonially at Genesis 15. You remember the, the smoking, uh, the, the cauldron and the torch that passed through the animals that had been cut in half and laid open. And the covenant was evidenced by a rite. What was it? What did they do to show the circumcision? That's the origin of circumcision. That's Genesis 17, 9 through 14. That was the sign among the people who had received the promise of God. Now, God reaffirmed his promise 24 years later to Abram, who was now 99, and he changed his name to Abraham, which means the father of many. But don't miss this. That's Genesis 17. Don't miss this. God made a promise to Abram and did nothing about it for 24 years. 25 by the time my birth happened. And yet some of us are so frustrated with God because He is not in the same hurry we are, is He? Because when God gives us a promise, that promise is supposed to be able to provide us peace, not the content of the promise. You see what I'm saying? 
if we can't find peace from the promise, we're lacking in the ability to trust in the faithfulness of God. Genesis 17 says this, verse 6, when he restated it. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. Okay, remember, he's not a Jew. There is no land. He hasn't received the promised land yet. And here God is talking about kings. And there would not be a king for a thousand years. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner, to you and your descendants. Don't miss this. It will be their possession forever. And I will be their God. Now I want you to understand this. The dispute in the Middle East today is about that. Because for, for other groups to say this land belongs to us means we don't believe in your scripture, the Torah. We don't believe in your God and you took what belongs to us. Interestingly, Philistines are not original descendants. The Canaanites and the Philistines, they migrated over from the Adriatic, but they're claiming they were there in the beginning. I mean, Palestinians. Palestinians were Philistines, is what I meant to say. And they were a seafaring people who came. So they're warring over this land that God created and gave to these people. And to take it away, see, breaks the authority of the Scripture. These promises of God for land, descendants, and blessing are all fulfilled literally. They're not just spiritual references. And later, God did give Abraham the land that's described in Genesis 13, 1 through 14. The dimensions are there. And then... But it wouldn't actually occupy it until after the Exodus. When Moses would never cross over, remember. So who led the children into the promised land? Joshua did. Joshua 21. And they, they captured and controlled that land. But the Jews lost it again. And it was returned to them when? When? 1948, somebody back there, following World War II. Now, God gave this childless, 99-year-old man many descendants. What happens when God gives you a promise and He doesn't do anything about it for two years? How do y'all act? Mad, spoiled, doubting God frustrated, all of those describe lack of faith, don't they? Because the promise is where the security and the hope lies. How much, how much faith does it take to be given something, the deliverance? The deliverance requires no faith. Faith, trust are found 
in the promise. In the promise. And not only would Abraham have many, many descendants, as it says, like a number larger than the sand on the shore, but spiritually, every believer is a child of Abraham. Look at this passage. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham, what's that say? It belongs to you. It belongs to you. Now, God's promise to bless all the families on the earth, that was surprising, wasn't it? Remember, the Jews came to resent any Gentiles. And one thing that Jesus was crucified for is he wasn't Jewish enough. And he embraced Gentiles. But God's promise to bless the families of earth through Abraham could and would only be fulfilled through Jesus Christ, a descendant of Abraham. Now Mary said in her song, what's the song called? Magnificat. Y'all have heard that. But that's not the way she said it. She didn't sing it at all. She spoke it at Luke 1.55. But um, in that, and I didn't, I didn't have it put on the screen, because I just wanted you to know that she said, Mary said at Luke 1.55, before the child was born, that he was the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and his children forever. Mary knew Jesus was the fulfillment of the beginning of the promise. Not the complete fulfillment of the promise. The beginning of the fulfillment of the promise. And then 40 days after his birth, Jesus' parents took him to the temple to make a purification offering for Mary, you know, following the delivery of a child. And at the temple, they encountered an unusual man, a righteous devout, spirit-led man. Now, is it, does it surprise you that there would be a spirit-led man at that time when Jesus was so small? Pentecost was at least three, deca three decades away. See, here's the thing. The Spirit wasn't created at Pentecost the Spirit hovered over the earth from creation. And every person that knew God, including Abraham, including David, including Moses, was born again by the Spirit of God. What about the law? Nobody kept the law. No one's declared righteous by obeying rules, and Abraham didn't even have them. Moses wrote them. From God. There was no Bible to go by. You know what there was? There was an experience that was personal, that was comprehensive, that was life altering in every person's life. See, Abraham's salvation, not one shred different than yours. Not one shred. Here's the difference. The gift you got and I got is that the Spirit didn't just regenerate you. He stayed with you. 
Some of y'all, I don't know why some of y'all about half dead, and you're supposed to have the Spirit of God inside of you. Good Lord. But this man was led by the Spirit to speak. And here's what happened. Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and he praised God saying, we think of him lifting the child, don't we? Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you promised. See, Simeon had been told by the Spirit, you will not die until you see the Messiah. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. Again, not Jews alone. This is, a, this is an offensive, outrageous statement for a Jew to say, in the temple, this child will save the Gentiles. Don't miss this. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. And He is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus just revealed His Father's nature in human form. And so we look to see what we can discern about the Father from the Son. But this is fulfilling God's promise to Abraham. So let me ask you again, what promises has God made to you? Now we have promises in the Scripture for sure. But God will make personal promises. But be careful. My desires aren't God's promises. Now God may bless me with some of my wants. You see? But He's not obligated to fulfill my wants. He's obligated to fulfill what? His promises. So we better figure out which are His and which are mine. I've got too many wants sometimes. And then I get mad when I don't get it. And God never said, God said, what are you mad about? Now God faithfully provided a king. Another promise. A thousand years before the birth of Jesus, God spoke to David, who was king at that time, through the prophet Nathan at 2 Samuel 7. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time. And your throne will be secure forever. Well, what does that make? Was Herod a, child, a son of David? Was he? No. Herod was from Edom. He wasn't even a Jew, a full Jew. Well, what does this mean? And then 700 years again before Jesus' birth, Isaiah promised a king. For the child is born to us, a son is given to us. See, the child is born. The son's not born. The son is given because he was already alive. Jesus' existence didn't start in Bethlehem. He existed from the foundation of the world. But he was born as a child. 
and he left behind his divine prerogatives. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. The promise of this righteous king was reasserted again a hundred years later, a hundred years later by Jeremiah. At Jeremiah 23. But then we see at the time of Jesus' birth, some men called the Magi showed up. Who did they come looking for? They came looking for a king. Don't miss it. These are Gentiles. They are not Christian. They are not Jewish. They are maybe Zoroastrian. We don't know what they were for sure. They were probably Persians. And they were pagan, at least when they arrived. And they said, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. But let me tell you another one. When Jesus entered Jerusalem about 32 years later at Passover, which is the week he would be arrested and crucified, the people gathered. And it's interesting, Leanne and I have been there, and, and some of you have been there, in, right there on the Mount of Olives. It is real steep. And it leads across the Kidron Valley, across the, the creek, and into the city. But a large crowd gathered, and they took palm branches, and they went down to the road to meet him, and they shouted, Praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, and hail to the King of Israel. Were they wrong? Jesus never reigned on earth. Jesus was put to death. He didn't take over the, the, the throne. Are they confused? Jesus did reign. And He does today. But His government operates in secret. In secret. His kingdom is seen in the lives of those who trust, who obey, who submit to Him as sovereign Lord. So for some of y'all, He's reigning. For some of you, you're just going to church. Because let me tell you this, I'm about to get excited, I might preach the rest of the day. <laughs> the, question, the question here is, does he rule over your life and in your heart? He's not invisible if he's doing that. But if he's not, you don't know anything about that kingdom. But he rules unseen except through our actions, 
our behaviors, our attitudes. Now, one day he's going to come back. I hope soon. Somebody who said soon over here? I hope soon. I want to see it. Because if he rips up in the sky, you know, some of us are going to go, there he is, glory. But a whole lot of folks are going to go, oh. Because it won't be by in spirit, and it won't be just the spirit within us. He will reign visibly, tactily, tangibly, obviously, outwardly over the entire world. And he will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords in that day. Now the question, here's the question. Is Jesus, the king who came at Christmas, is he the ruler of your life? Because there isn't any middle ground. There isn't, I like Jesus who was born in a manger, which he wasn't born in a manger anyway. He was laid in a manger. But God also faithfully sent a Savior. 600 years before Jesus' birth, God promised a new covenant. Salvation from sin through his prophet Jeremiah. Now, it's not to say he wasn't already saving people by the same covenant that was new. It's just that they saw the law. And the law was given as a set of rules to cause them to behave. A school teacher, it, it says, to bring them to the gospel. But let me tell you a secret. All the guidelines for behavior in the New Testament, you know what I'm talking about? All of them that Paul wrote, the ones that Jesus, that's the law too. Unless you've been regenerated by the Spirit and it's been placed inside you. Otherwise, you're just obeying law, which is a good thing. We ought to obey and follow, but it's a better thing to be born again and have that law inscribed on your souls. Now, Jeremiah 31 says this, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. And I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Now, this is Jeremiah, who wrote about 500, 600 years before Jesus' birth. And he's talking about you being born again. And the sins removed. Now, Zechariah, whose, whose father was he? He was a priest, served in the temple. John the Baptist. John the Baptist. He also was filled with the Spirit. Now, remember, Jesus has not yet been born yet. And here's another man filled with the Spirit and prophesying. Luke chapter 1. He has sent us a mighty Savior. He's not talking about His Son. He's talking about the one who would come after His Son. From the royal line of His servant David, just as He promised through His holy prophets long ago. He's been merciful to our ancestors by remembering His sacred covenant. See, it all goes back to the covenant. 
All the promises go back to Abraham. And they knew it. Do we know it? Do we recognize it? The covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. Joseph received this same information about the Savior, but he received it from an angel during a dream. And she, Mary, he's telling the angel, saying it's okay to marry her, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, for he will save his people from their sins. Has Jesus forgiven your sins? Let me tell you, there's not a better time. Let me say this. There's not a worse time to try to see Christ in the midst of all the consumerism. But there's not a better time to encounter Him by the Spirit. It just depends on where you're looking and what you're seeing. There's not a better time to come to faith it's like the Spirit draws near. The theme is everywhere. It's on. I've been watching. What am I watching? Those are very deep, complex themes. Sometimes it takes me 60 seconds to decide who she's going to end up with. But they're at least happy. And you know what they do? They don't deny Christ at least. So, yeah, I watch them. <laughs> but let me tell you, the gospel comes near, but it still has to be revealed. It still has to be revealed. So who do you know? Who are you praying for during this season? That this, the, the story of the Christ child and all, the blinders would be removed and they would really see. Because you can know all the facts and never know the Spirit. They would really see. Bring somebody to church. Some people are, are inclined to show up. But do, here's the thing. Don't bring them and abandon them. you got to bring them and stay with them. And talk to them and pray for them. And fast over them. This is a season to take advantage of it. And you know, for yourself and your family, read the verses on the discussion guide. And I've told you where the story is. It's only in a couple of chapters. Two chapters in Matthew, two chapters in Luke, some in Isaiah. Reflect on it. You know, reflect on the faithfulness of God. That God keeps His promises. Keep it forward. See, I'm not interested in denouncing Christmas for its pagan origins. I'm interested in capturing it for Jesus Christ. You counselors, come forward, and y'all just remain here if there, as long as there's anyone that wants to talk to you. This is a season of salvation as well. But let me urge you, folks, a couple of things. Try to give, try to buy 10% less. Don't leave yourself shackled in debt after Christmas. Try to buy 10% less. Try to give away 10% more to people in need. Give away something you have. If it's an extra coat or two, find somebody that needs it. Give it away. And you know what? Don't not, I don't want to hear that any of you are passing those red kettles without putting something in it. Put some cash in your pocket and open up your hearts 
to people that have a need and spend 10% more time focusing on God this month. I fast on Tuesday still. You can fast with me, but spend some time. Give God the glory, the honor He's due during this season. Father, we thank You for this Word. But help us, Lord, to not get caught up in our culture's interpretation of this occasion. Let us see you clearly throughout this all-important story. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways you can connect with other Christians at Brookwood, or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org, or you can call us at 864-688-8326. Thank you so much for listening, and have a blessed week.